When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Jeff here, the host of Rounders. You know, back in 2018, I reset my life. I moved across the country, and I decided to start this podcast. My first episode was entitled The Origins of Baseball. I recorded it on my laptop microphone in a room with echoey floors and high ceilings, and it sounded awful. But I remember being so excited when I got 10 plays. And I fast forward today, and this episode has been streamed over 10,000 times. I want to give my top episodes some love by remastering and expanding them, the ones that were popular when we first started. So I'm re-releasing this episode, the one that started it all, with better sound equipment and more facts and information for you to enjoy. I hope it's going to get another 10,000 baseball fans excited about this sports history. Let's get to it. The year is 1725. As captain of your team, you're facing your rival, Tom, in a game of rounders. You grip a wooden stick and you wait for the right moment. Tom throws the ball your way. You see it coming and you swing with all of your might. And you hit the ball high and far and you start running. You feel the wind in your hair. You feel the sun on your face. You reach the first post, then the second, then the third. You're almost there. You've almost got a rounder. You glance over your shoulder and you see Tom running after the ball. He picks it up and he throws it with all of his fourth. The ball flies towards the fourth post. You sprint with everything you have to get there before the ball does. But you're out and you have to go back to your team. You feel a surge of disappointment and anger. You lost the game by one point. You shake hands with Tom, but you can't hide your resentment. And you swear to yourself that you're going to beat him next time. The thrill of this sport probably sounds familiar, yet it's not the game of baseball we know today. So how did this game of rounders become the sport that we know and love today? Was it an American invention, or was it an import from our melting pot nation of immigrants? And if baseball is indeed an established game from another country, what are its true roots? We are going to look at baseball's origins on today's episode of Rounders, a history of baseball in America. You know, baseball in the 21st century is one of the most popular sports in the United States. 50% of adults say that they follow the sport. And globally, baseball continues growing too. 75 countries have established professional baseball leagues. Countries like Japan, South Korea, the Dominican Republic, and Cuba count baseball as its most popular sport. Other countries where baseball is increasing in popularity include Canada, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Venezuela, Taiwan, Australia, and the Netherlands. Historically, the United States has referred to baseball as America's pastime. 
and the two really are eternally intertwined. As the modern game developed here, first on the schoolyards of British colonists, then to troop encampments of the Civil War, then to the social clubs of New York, where we saw the first codified rules established. To say baseball is purely an American invention, though, that's only half the story. Baseball, like America, is the result of many cultural infusions, and it's the result of a melting pot of different activities. So we're going to explore baseball's origins in two different parts. First, we're going to look at the ball and stick games that we could consider influences that people kept building on to get to the modern version. And then we're going to take a look at the more modern activities, what we would usually refer to as athletic sports, that became the game of baseball we know today. So let's start by looking at baseball's ancient ancestors. As we look at baseball's origin story, it's important to examine the historical record to see if there's any games or pastimes that shared similarities to the game that we know today. And there are quite a few examples, ranging all the way back to ancient Egypt. Now, I'm not saying Egyptians and other ancient cultures were playing baseball, but the idea of games played with a bat and ball is as old as human civilization itself. Let's go to ancient Egypt first. Ancient Egyptians played various ball and stick games that may have influenced the origins of baseball. There were two different games that we can refer to. One was called Cat and one was called Seker Hamat, which both involved hitting a ball with a stick. So Cat was a game of precision, where the goal was to hit a small ball through a hoop or a hole. And then Seker Hamat was a game of strength, where the goal was to hit a large ball and run around a course. These games date back to 2500 BC at least, and it's evidenced by wooden objects that are shaped like cats, and there's spells commanding pharaohs to strike a ball, and there's paintings of catching and throwing balls in tombs and temples across ancient sites. The ancient Egyptian games of Cat and Seker Hamat not only were recreational, but they also had religious and symbolic meanings. They were often played during festivals and ceremonies and were associated with various gods and goddesses such as Osiris, Hathor, and Bess. Some historians also suggest that these games represented the cycle of life and death in action, and it was a struggle between order and chaos that was illustrated by playing these games. Let's jump from ancient Egypt to medieval Europe. Several cultures developed ball-and-stick games that could have certainly influenced later activities that led to our modern sport. First, let's go to Romania. In the areas that are now modern-day Romania, village folks would play a game called Oinya. The game was, and it still is, played outdoors with two teams of 11 players each. Players would hit a ball with a wooden stick and run around a rectangular field that was 70 meters long and 32 meters wide. And the field would be divided into three zones, the in-game area, the batting zone, and the back zone. The team that scored the most points by hitting a ball and running around the field would win the game. The name Oinya is derived from the Kuman word Oin, which means game. And the oldest direct mention of Oinya comes from a 1792 manual from a medic who talks about the health benefits of playing this game. However, this copy could have come from an even older manual that was published as early as 1364. 
historian Christian Kotescu even goes as far to state that, quote, the American pastime derived from the ancient game of Oigna. If we cross over to medieval France, ball and stick games were commonplace there too. There's a manuscript from the year 1344 that shows an illustration of clerics playing a game similar to baseball known as la soule. The ball, also called the soule, was a wooden leather or pig's bladder that was stuffed with hay, moss, or horsehair. And there would be two teams, typically made up of two nearby towns, that would compete against each other. And the team sizes would range anywhere from 20 people up to 200 players. Now the game would start with something similar to a tip-off in basketball. One designated individual, surrounded by all of the players who were participating, would throw the ball up in the air, and the game would begin. The object of the game was to, using sticks, or whatever you felt like using, honestly, to bring the ball back to just in front of your town's church. The game was usually started in a middle point between two different communities. And sometimes the distance between the two churches could be really far. So you would have these teams, sometimes hundreds of people, hitting a ball through fields and forests over rivers and streams to be able to get to the point where your town would win. Now, there are some accounts, instead of hitting it in front of your town's church, there were wooden posts that were set up outside the church, which would be the mark to get the ball to in order to achieve victory. Now, we do know from other manuscripts that women were not allowed to play in this game, but there were no established rules really outside of that. And these games could last for days and would end when one side just gave up and dropped from exhaustion. The activity seemed quite popular, though. There are accounts of large crowds that would come and watch these matches. And these games were, on a small level, similar to a crosstown rivalry game, where you would play for pride and bragging rights. And as time went on, French manuscripts mentioned La Soule even had professional clubs and leagues where the game was played by both amateurs and professionals. Now, on a fun note, one modern tradition baseball still uses that seems to have come directly from La Soule was this commonplace uh, idea of having a person of prestige toss the ball in the air to begin the matches. So in La Soule, an individual was usually selected. It was usually a member of the clergy or nobility. They would go out and they would throw up the ball for beginning the game. And today, we have people of significance throw out the first pitch at the beginning of baseball games. Let's jump over to England. And in England, there was a sport called stoolball that could also be considered an influencer of what would become baseball. But not just baseball. Fans of the sport cricket will also see striking similarities. The game became popular in the 1500s in Britain, and it was often played by both men and women, usually at festivals, fairs, and other social events. In fact, because the game could be played in a somewhat small space, several documents record the game being played in churchyards after Sunday services. William Shakespeare even referred to stoolball in one of his plays. So, how did stoolball work? There were typically two teams of 11 players who would face off against each other. And the object was for a player to guard a wooden post with a square attached to it. And the reason that the name stoolball came along 
is what was usually used for that square was the seat of a stool, which would be attached to a tree. Teams would often use a frying pan-shaped wooden bat, and the opposing player would throw eight balls one at a time, underhanded, trying to hit that wooden square that was being defended. And the batter would attempt to hit the ball and score points based on where the ball went and how many times they could run back and forth between the posts before being tagged. Now, stool ball in particular may have been the sport that popularized the concept of one batter, one pitcher, and the evolution of what would eventually become the baseball we know and love today. But influences don't just reside in Europe. We're going to travel over to pre-colonial Mesoamerica as well. So let's fast forward a little bit. Go with me to 1500 BCE to the Mexican Peninsula. And we have the Olmec civilization, which was an empire considered old even by the Aztec Empire. They participated in bat and ball games thanks to recent archaeological finds that have uncovered this. The balls that were played for certain games weighed as much as 9 pounds, and early versions probably featured players using their hips or forearms to hit these balls. Sometimes rackets, bats, or handstones were used as the game evolved. Now, no matter what was being used to hit these heavy balls, we know that they played on very long, narrow alleys with slanted sidewalls, so when they hit the ball, it could bounce. And these ball courts have been found as far north as modern-day Arizona and as far south as Nicaragua. So teams would usually consist of two to four players on each side. And most versions would be similar, I guess, you know, outside of the weight of the ball to modern-day racquetball. And players would take turns hitting the ball against the wall for their opponent to return. But this sport was particularly brutal. I mean, imagine for a second a six to nine pound ball flying at your face. Diego Duran, a Spanish chronicler, observed a game almost 500 years ago when the Spanish Empire visited Mesoamerica. And he reported in his writings that players got bruises so severe that they often had to be lanced open and that he witnessed players even killed when a ball, quote, hit them in the mouth or the stomach or the intestines, end quote. Now, ball and stick games weren't just ones that resided in Mesoamerica. If we travel to pre-colonial North America, we see versions as well. Stickball was a traditional Native American sport that has been played for centuries. It's similar to baseball in many ways. There's a ball, there's a stick, there's goals, and there's rules for scoring and running. However, there are some important differences. Now, depending on the tribe, but in trying to look at the generalities, we see that it was played on an open field where teams of players with two sticks each would attempt to control and shoot a ball at the opposing team's goal. And the game was typically played with a woven leather ball, often called a towa, and handcrafted sticks called kabokas. Each team would try to advance the ball down the field to the other team's goal using only those sticks never touching or throwing the ball with their hands, and points were scored when a player hit the opposing team's goalpost with the ball. There were several Native American tribes that recorded playing some version of stickball like this, such as the Cherokee, Chickasaw, Choctaw, Muscogee, Seminole, and Yuki. They all played and still play this sport. 
We also know that stickball was used as a way to settle disputes and grievances amongst different tribes or even intertribal conflicts. And it was also used as a way to toughen up young warriors for combat. Stickball was also just a common recreational game that was played at festivals or to place bets on to pass the time. So one thing is abundantly clear. Ball and stick games existed long before we see modern versions start to pop up in Renaissance or colonial Europe. Now, before we talk about those games and developments that we would say are the more modern forerunners of baseball, I want to take a quick moment and get personal and talk about a curveball that I've been facing in my life the past year. And that has to do with staying energized and focused while juggling podcasting in my daily life. And like many of you, I'm not just a podcaster. I'm a parent, I have a full-time job, I'm a baseball fan, and I'm always on the go. This lifestyle requires not just energy, but clear-headed focus. And my old teammate was caffeine, but they're really letting me down because too much of it and I'd feel jittery, and too little and I'd be snoozing before getting everything done on my checklist. And that's where Magic Mind came in. This little green shot has become an essential part of my day. I started taking it each morning and I noticed an immediate change. In just three days, my focus sharpened, my creativity and storytelling started to spike, and my energy levels became steadier than a rookie pitcher. So what's the secret to this? It's not just about the energy I'm getting, but Magic Mind, when you look at the ingredients, is packed with nootropics and adaptogens all natural wonders that have transformed how I feel throughout the day. Now, I'm more productive, yes, but I'm also more present. Whether I'm deep diving into baseball history or I'm just stopping to play catch with my son in the backyard. And another added benefit is the sleep. Oh my goodness, it's been crucial to helping me feel much better. And with Magic Mind, I'm not tossing and turning. I'm not worrying about stats or storylines. I'm sleeping better in the night and it's low on caffeine, unlike the old drinks I was taking. So I sleep peacefully, and I wake up refreshed every morning. So, to my fellow baseball lovers and busy bees, if you want to hit your day out of the park, give Magic Mind a try. It's been a game changer for me, and I think it could be for you too. I've got a deal that you can take advantage on until the end of this month. Magic Mind's going to help you crush your 2024 New Year's resolutions fully focused. You're going to get one month for free if you sign up for three months by going to www.magicmind.com forward slash Jan Rounders. That's J-A-N Rounders. If you go to this site and you use my code Rounders20, not only will you get one month for free, you're going to get an extra 20% off. So that's 75% off total that you're getting by using my code. But remember, this only lasts until the end of this month, so hurry up before it goes away. Now, before we get back to talking about more modern influences on what we know baseball to be today, let's take a quick break for the seventh inning stretch. All right, everybody, welcome to the seventh inning stretch. As I mentioned in last week's episode, I'm moving a lot of the fan feedback and things to keep you in the loop about to the middle of the episode so we can get right into the good stuff from the get-go, the topics that we're talking about every week. 
So really quickly, I, I always want to take a moment to share with you the feedback from the community, uh, questions I'm asking you, and I want to start off with the weekly poll that I always send out, not only on Spotify, but also in our email newsletter. We had covered the life and death of Thurman Munson, and I had asked you if you thought the Yankees would have won more championships if Thurman Munson had played an additional five to seven seasons. 100% of you said yes, that would have been the case. And I'm certainly inclined to agree with you with the trajectory that he was on. I think it was definitely something that could have happened. It's one of the great sad what-ifs that we see from players that left us too soon. Thank you for your feedback on the poll. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the episode, please go back one week, check it out. Definitely worth your time. Another thing I want to highlight is feedback that I get from you. I love getting emails and and messages in social media accounts and just hearing from you about what you're thinking about the show, corrections that you have to send in, uh, things you want to see in future episodes means a lot to me, keeps me going. And I wanted to highlight something that uh, Martin S. said on Facebook. He left a comment referring to an episode that we did about Bob Slaybaugh, uh, the one-eyed pitcher. He said that, quote, you mistakenly cited that Dick Sisler had eye problems. It was actually his father, George, end quote. Went back and checked the notes, and you're 100% right, Martin. I was listing other players uh, who had different vision impairments that played in baseball besides Bob Slaybaugh. I mistakenly uh, said the son instead of the father, so thank you for that correction, Martin. I do appreciate it. If you want to hear this episode, uh, Bob's life was very interesting. Uh, Seeing what he overcame with his comeback certainly was. I'll put a link in the show notes. I would encourage you to check it out. And then I'm starting something new this week. I'm going to be asking you a baseball trivia question, and I'm going to include it in a poll for you to be able to guess on Spotify and in the newsletter. And the person that or people that get it right, I'll give you a shout out on the following episode. So are you ready? This is going to be our first trivia question in Rounders history that I want your feedback on. Let's see what you know. Here is the question. Who holds the record for most home runs hit in their rookie season? I'm going to post the question on social, like I said, on Spotify and also through the email newsletter. So give me your responses. Let's see who gets this right. No Googling, no cheating. Let's see who knows this organically. All right, folks, that brings us to the end of our seventh inning stretch. I got a quick word from our sponsor additionally, then we're going to get back to the baseball goodness. Stay with me. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for sticking with me. We've covered baseball's ancient ancestors, ball and stick games that were played by other cultures that certainly passed down through generations and influence more modern versions of games that would eventually birth baseball. We went from ancient Egypt over to Romania to medieval France. We went over to England. Then we popped over to Mesoamerica and checked in in Mexico with the Olmec. And then we went north into North America and checked in on Native American cultures that played ball and stick sports. All those influences came together to really form the modern game that we enjoy today. So I'm going to try and trace a path here, and we're going to talk about the modern games that probably more directly impacted the birth of baseball as a sport. 
But I think, you know, just to go back. It- Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's important to realize that these ball and stick games, these athletic activities that have these little pieces of baseball that we know today, certainly were passed down family to family, town to town, tradition to tradition, and just started getting tweaks and evolving little by little to what we know today. So we have to take into account the forerunners of the modern sport that eventually added to what we love now. So let's go ahead. We're going to jump back to Britain, okay? We're going to start by talking about a game called Rounders, the forename of this show, right? Well, Rounders was a modified version of Stoolball, which we talked about before the break, and Cricket, which got its birth from Stoolball as well. And both of those kind of influenced this new game called Rounders, which quickly became popular in England and Ireland during the 1500s. And it's still a popular game today. It's played by more than 7 million school children across the United Kingdom. So how would you play Rounders? Well, the rules really do closely resemble the basics of baseball. Now, I tried to paint a picture for you in the introduction of the episode about what it could be like to play a game of rounders if you were a school kid during this time period. I don't know how that landed, but hopefully it gave you, you know, a chance to kind of put yourself in the shoes of someone playing this game during that time. But basically how rounders works is you have nine players, right, on each side, and the groups take turns batting and taking the field, which were called innings. All right. And then points, which were called rounders, were awarded when a batter completed a full circuit around four bases without being put out. So you see the more direct references that we see in baseball today starting to take shape. Now, in rounders, when you would hit the ball and try and get around that full circuit, certain things could happen that would have you be called out. Number one, if the ball was caught by an opposing player. Another way that you could be counted out was the base to which the player was running to could be touched with the ball, either someone running and touching the base with it or throwing it and hitting that base. Also, if a player touched you with the ball, if the fielder did, while you were running to a base, you could be counted out, just like in modern-day baseball. So we have undoubtedly British citizens who are very used to playing either stool ball rounders, or cricket, and we start to see the colonization from Britain, as well as other European countries, beginning in the 1600s, particularly in what we know today as North America. And as time went on in American history, these colonies eventually became a United States, and we see stool ball, rounders, and cricket fall into that same kind of melting pot that America turned into. And this new sport emerges from these multiple influences, and it spreads with the country as it's expanded. So when is the first mention of a game called baseball actually popping up? So a student at the University of Princeton, which is located in New Jersey, 
recorded a journal entry in 1786, shortly after the end of the Revolutionary War. We're setting out our Constitution. He states in his diary entry, quote, a fine day, play baseball in the campus, but I am beaten for I miss both catching and striking the ball, end quote. I'm putting a photo of this uh, letter in the newsletter. So if you haven't signed up, please go. Uh, A link's in the show notes so you can actually see the diary entry. So that's the first instance where we see a game called, even though it was spelled based, B-A-S-T-E, ball, actually written down by a student that this is what it was called. This is what it was played. Now, were they playing a variation called baseball? Was it a, a, a misprint on his part in spelling? Hard to say, but that's the first real entry that we have that mentions something called baseball. If we go to 1791, not much further after, right? We're only talking about a, a five-year difference here. The town of Pittsfield, Massachusetts passed an ordinance that barred the playing of a game called baseball within 80 yards of the town meeting house and its glass windows, direct reference to a game called baseball. In 1823, Greenwich Village, which is now an area on the outskirts of New York City, reported in its local newspaper that baseball was regularly played on Saturdays on the outskirts of the community. Then, as we see baseball, the game, pop up more and more in pop culture references and in what we read and what we are recording, we also see baseball clubs start popping up particularly across the northeastern United States and Canada. And as the country expanded, people moved from the northeast and brought the game with them into new territories and states. So some examples of these clubs that were founded include, in 1805, the Gymnastics of Columbia College in Manhattan, New York, recorded playing baseball. In 1846, we had two professional clubs, the Gotham's Club of New York and the Knickerbocker Baseball Club in New York play a game that was recorded. In 1853, the St. John Baseball Club was founded in New Brunswick, Canada. In 1853, the Olympic Club of Boston in Boston, Massachusetts was founded as a professional baseball club. In 1857, the Club of New Orleans in Louisiana in the United States was founded as a professional baseball club. In 1858, we had the San Francisco Baseball Club clear across the country before the Civil War found a baseball club. The point I'm trying to make here to show you is that baseball spread as American influence spread across the continent, and it took those forerunners, bat and ball games, particularly the modern ones from Western Europe, and it became a unique game that we as Americans began to play more and more. So this new game of baseball that's getting more and more popular took its first steps towards becoming a professional sport in 1857, when 16 New York area clubs, including the Knickerbockers, which I mentioned before, they formed the National Association of Baseball Players, the NABBP. And this group was the sport's first governing body which established a championship for clubs to be able to compete in. Now, this is all before the Civil War, but then the Civil War hit, 
And it had an unexpected effect of very rapidly spreading professional baseball clubs into southern, midwestern, and western states and territories across the United States. So after the Civil War, the NABBP, this professional association, saw its membership grow to more than 100 clubs by 1865. So again, 16 to over 100 in less than eight years. And then there were over 400 clubs that had registered for membership by 1867, just two years later. That is an explosion of popularity for the sport. And out of all these clubs that registered with the NABBP, there was one that really stuck out as building a winning dynasty of sorts. And that was a professional club in Ohio called the Cincinnati Red Stockings. So for my Reds fans, little shout out for you. So baseball continued growing as a professional sport now, as more and more leagues popped up. So we see, we started off with the National Association of Baseball Players. Then we see the National Association of Professional Baseball Players, established in 1875, which was the successor to the NABBP. Then we have the National League, as we know it today, formed in 1876. And then we have the American League, as we know it today, founded in 1901. So by the end of the 1800s, baseball had arrived. It was a sport that was uniquely American, yet it was influenced by sports that were played across many different continents long before the United States came about. And that's how I want to end, folks. When I originally wrote this episode back in 2018, I stated that baseball was as American as apple pie. But maybe a more fair statement is needed. Baseball is a reflection of America because we are, out of many, one unique culture. And baseball, too, is out of many influences, one unique sport. So we all chipped in to create this game we loved. And I think that's what makes baseball so special. Folks, before we close, I just want to say thank you again for making this show a part of your weekly rotation for your support, for your feedback, for your comments. It means a lot to me, and I'm looking forward to continuing doing this show for many more episodes in the future with your help. Thanks again, and as we close every show, remember that there are only two seasons, winter and baseball. See you next time. Rounders, A History of Baseball in America is produced by Jeffrey Lambert. Our research assistant is Cass Silber. A special thanks to our starting nine supporters, Nathan Halverson and Jack Wilson.